Sessions from Capital. Hello and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Capita on the theme of the great opportunity. I'm Justine Green and we continue to look at the opportunities and choices organisations need to make to plan, rebuild and come back stronger after such unprecedented times. This time our spotlight is on working remotely and securely across government and defence. We're joined by Major General Tom Coppinger-Sims, Director Military Digitisation, UK Strategic Command. Hello, Tom. Hi, Justine. Great to be with you today. Great to have you with us. And Kevin Nicholas, Head of Government at Capita Consulting. Hello, Kevin. Hello. Good to be with you. Tom, starting with you, can you give us an understanding of how COVID has shaped the MOD's digital future? Yeah, thanks, Justine. I mean, I, I guess it's probably too early to tell. But um, to give an overview of a a couple of thoughts, you know, across people, uh, well, what have we learned? Um, We've relearned so many things. The the importance of knowing our people so we can work virtually. The importance of including diverse thinking, diverse voices in our teams and making sure they're included and heard once they're there. The importance of resilience, both physical and mental. Um, And I guess the, the importance of balancing that sort of physical, mental and dare I say it, spiritual health when when people are under stress. Um, In terms of processes, I guess I'd look at both demand and supply. So, you know, COVID has changed the demand for for digital services and the whole way defence works. Uh, A lot of that is about what I would call overcoming time and space, you know, those four dimensions. Um, That's overcoming sort of synchronous and asynchronous meetings, um, uh, allowing people to work virtually, but also physically and overcome those boundaries. Um, And then, of course, it's in process terms, it's about supply. So it's about us supplying digital services much faster, uh, dare I say it, in an agile way. And that's asking some pretty deep questions about uh, how we do business in defence, you know, whether it's about equipment or money or decision making. Kevin, what would you say are some of the benefits of this transformation of operations and remote teams? I think two things that I've really seen the past, well, I guess the past year is uh, adaptability and the acceleration of digital transformation across government and then probably every sector, to be honest. You know, I think we've been we've been forced to adapt. Everyone's had to become comfortable with remote working and running big projects, programs and operations um, with a very distributed team. Um, sometimes. Uh, we've had to do projects and programs that, you know, a year ago we would have said you, you can't do those remotely. You can't do it distributed. Everyone's got to be in an office or everyone's got to be in some physical place in order to be truly effective. Um, but I've seen teams get over that and become just as effective or even more um, when using remote collaboration tools. And then the acceleration of digital transformation. I mean, anyone who was dragging their feet and not fully embracing this, I think is, has almost been forced to do it because you can't really continue to trade effectively, especially if you're a private sector business like Capita is, if you can't uh, work and deliver in a fully digital and, and like Tom said, agile way. Tom, do you have any recent examples of how you've had to rethink and implement new technology? Uh, yeah, countless. Um, for us, we've had to hugely increase the remote access for, for mobile working across defence, like four or five times uh, over the past nine months. Um, we've also rolled out thousands, I mean, tens of thousands of laptops, new laptops, 
um, replacing uh, mainly desktops because we were we were primarily a desktop estate. Um, so that's been a, a significant shift in behaviors and equipment and so on. Um, but it's also enabled uh, a different sort of culture for defense around its IT. So I, I mean, I, I don't want to, to overstress it, but that, that ability for a laptop to sort of live with you and be in your hands as opposed to a desktop has made it much more intimate. And I think has has probably accelerated and uh, and magnified the change that uh, that we just alluded to there. Presumably, government and defence are not alone having to deal with being in a part digital, part analog state. Kevin. Yeah, sure, that's right. I mean, I think every sector is dealing with digital transformation and disruption, um, just at different paces and sometimes for different reasons, right? So, but you know, the, the the core challenge I think across sectors, private and public, has always been, you know, how are you going to consistently outmaneuver competition and innovate faster? You know, you look at you know years and years ago when Amazon came on the scene and how quickly they took out some of the big booksellers and then record sellers and so forth. And, you know, they really set the bar quite high quite early. Um, and then we thought, you know, this that kind of move is particularly difficult in very heavily regulated industries like like banking and pharmaceuticals, where digital comms and use of data are very tightly controlled. But, you know, those industries, along with retail and leisure, you know, they've been at the forefront of digital transformation for a very, very long time. Um, and I think the interesting thing about them is that they've got quite a lot to teach government. So I think, you know, today we hear a lot about DevSecOps and, you know, rapid, agile software development. And certainly in the UK, the government is probably at the forefront of, of the world when taking on those kinds of challenges. OK, well, coming next, let's talk about the challenges of remote working. organizations. One thing that seems to be on the up is cyber attacks. So let me ask you both, what lessons have you learned about security measures with teams of people working from home? Tom? Whether it's about working from home or just working remotely, I mean, a lot of this we should be very good at in the military. You know, I mean, every operation I've uh, I've been on from sort of the Balkans through to Iraq and Afghanistan, you know, the way we operate in the physical world is remotely. And we should be very good at managing those risks to your security because we understand how to do it in the physical world. And we do it in part by distancing ourselves from each other, but still managing the the need to communicate and the need to protect ourselves. Of course, it's different in the virtual world and we're not as good as we could be. Um, But I think some of our experiences in the physical world should be able to give us a clue of how to how to manage this in the virtual world. Clearly, the more distanced individuals get from their place of work, the more responsibility there has to be on that individual. When I joined the army, we all carried a shovel with us so we could dig a trench whenever we stopped for more than 15 minutes so we wouldn't be killed by artillery. Now, I don't want to stretch the metaphor too far, but every single soldier, sailor, airman, civil servant in defence needs to understand how to protect themselves online uh, to keep themselves sort of clean and hygienic online, but also to understand what threats are out there and make sure that they don't become the the point of weakness that allows the whole organization to get attacked. You know, what we found is that, you know, what might sound obvious to people who are in the business, you know, people who deal with cybersecurity on a regular basis is in no way obvious to your average staffer or employee who might not realize the damage someone can do if they 
access your system um, through a, you know, a phishing email or some kind of a backdoor or, or whatever it is they're using. Um, and, you know, if once you're inside someone's network and it could be through, you know, the someone in accounts or someone in sales, it's not necessarily someone who's sophisticated, um, you can access the same data and you can do the same damage as if you went through the most sophisticated cyber engineer's machine. So what we found is that it's very, very important to make sure people have that just basic cyber safety training, understanding and awareness. And in practice, how are you sharing information both quickly and safely across groups of people when some of those individuals might have different levels of security clearance? Um, so I think the whole challenge of integrating different organisations and different levels of security clearance, you know, I mean, that's a, a long established difficulty. Um, I mean, I'd love to tell you that it was seamless across government. I, I, again, I think we've had to work really hard with our partners across government to be able to communicate and collaborate uh, seamlessly across um, across organisational boundaries. Um, between different um, security classifications is still tricky, to be honest. Um, we're all working hard on it, you know, so that we can browse down or or share data up. Um, but but it's it's not as seamless as it as, as we'd like it to be, and and we're all trying to overcome that as we go. So I don't think we've got any. We haven't discovered any magic answers. We've 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 recognised a bunch of answers that we hadn't prioritised sufficiently before now. Kevin, do you have any examples of the type of projects that face the challenge of having different teams working together? Yeah, I mean, it happens all the time, right? So I think, you know, if you, t- if you take a case where someone said, well, we need you to build a new application, um, but the purpose of that application is classified, right? Um, however, to build it, we need a mix of very specific technological skills. Um, and maybe the people that can do some of that technology aren't necessarily say, security cleared, right? So they're just an average engineer um, in terms of security clearance, but they're incredibly talented at, say, something like artificial intelligence development. So what I want to be able to do is access the biggest talent pool possible, which means that I might want to work with some people who are the best engineers in the business, but just don't happen to have the security clearance. So what I have to do then is, is take my program and break it into different, I suppose, aspects of development so that we can give enough information to those engineers to build something. So we might say to them, you know, we need to build you this engine and the engine needs to do this, this and this and perform this way. But I can't tell them that I'm building a car, right? Because they can't know that. That's very difficult, um, but that's the way we have to work on a regular basis now. But but the more we can have this better online collaboration and cross-domain collaboration, I think the easier it will be to innovate and move faster. Um, especially when we're, we're dealing with things like battle space applications. Okay, well, let's round off this podcast by looking at some of the opportunities next. Well, let's get both your thoughts now on work and life when we come out of this pandemic. What do you think will be the opportunities for organisations then? Kevin? I think one of the biggest opportunities will be access to talent. So, you know, if if, if organisations you know like mine continue to really embrace this remote working concept, you know, that means we're free to hire people regardless of their physical location. So, you know, in the in the past, whenever I'd hire, I'd have to specify a city or an office that people had to attend on a you know three days to five days a week basis, um, and that would limit the talent pool that I could draw from because if I uh, said, well, my, my firm is a London-based firm. You have to either live in London or be willing to tolerate, you know, th- three or four hours a day of commuting or else you can't work for me. 
but uh, you know there might be someone living up in in Glasgow who's one of the best engineers going. Um, I'm never going to have them on my team because they're not going to want to travel to London, and maybe they don't want to they don't want to move. So, I think that change and saying you know it doesn't really matter where you live or where you're based, you can live wherever you like. You've got that freedom. But we now have the tools and 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 the experience and the ways of working to work together incredibly effectively. And Tom, your thoughts. Where it's different for us in defence is that we still have a lot of people, as many other industries do, where people are tied to a place of work. You know, their place of work is a ship or a plane or a tank or a trench uh, or a headquarters in some dusty part of the world. And I guess the the really exciting opportunity for me is that how that that digital transformation, that you know, mobile mobile working translates into those other workplaces that aren't just offices removed from where the office was but how we enrich and empower people who are working in a in an engineering workshop somewhere who might not be interested in a laptop but you can still enrich them with data-driven capabilities to make their work far more productive far more efficient far more accurate far more speedy i'm a, I'm a soldier at heart that's really where I want to go to beyond what Kevin said, how we how we flip from the sort of working from home experience into the how we enrich people digitally across the breadth of defence, um, wherever their place of work is. Now, organisations are only as good as their people, of course. So looking ahead, how do you attract the best talent to build for the future? You know, I think um, clearly we, we aren't going to pay as much as, well, I don't know, probably Kevin. We, we're probably not going to pay as much as banks are. But we can attract really good digital talent. We, we always have. And, you know, if you look at GCHQ and some of our other government departments, you know, we've always attracted really good people. Just look at the Royal Signals or the Navy and the Air Force, the, the people they get in. And, and the reason we get them in, because we've got really interesting problems. We've got fascinating problems. And, you know, there's a there's a degree of, I suppose, glamour is too strong. But, you know, we've got really nutty problems that are really important and really difficult. And the engineers and the digital folk I know, there's nothing that attracts them more, frankly, than really nutty problems and working with multidisciplinary teams to overcome them. I think that, that passion for working in defence and public sector was something that I think really impressed me with my team. You know, we've got about 275 people in, in the consulting org at Capita. Um, and we started working, well, when I started setting up teams to work in defense, you know, most of those people had never done it in their lives, had no idea what it was all about, and probably thought um, you know, it was all soldiers and engineering. Uh, and then when I pulled in people who were digital experts in things like experience design and human-centered design and agility and all these other types of things. They, they couldn't believe how exciting the work was and how challenging it was. Finally then, with many options lying ahead of us, are you optimistic that the right choices in government and defence will be made? You know, the fact that you've got the very most peop- senior people in defence talking, I mean, I'd, I'd say even with a degree of excitement about digital I think that's genuinely new um, and that's generally something we tap into. Um, And so putting the resource behind that is really important. But what COVID has undoubtedly given us is probably the most important thing, which is that that strategic shock that starts moving the culture. And so it's not just about the tech. It's not just about the, the, the resource and the funding. 
It's about the culture of everybody in defence. It's about those multidisciplinary teams. And it's about flipping people into that different sort of transformational mindset where they can reimagine how we deliver the the sort of final outcome of defence, that, that defence purpose of protecting our people, preventing conflict and, and being ready to fight and win when we need to. It, it's how we do that with digital driving us and with data driving us. So yes, I think you can probably hear I'm very optimistic about it. Kevin? Uh, well, I'm thinking, I mean, Tom's here, so I better say yes, right? But uh, <laughs> I couldn't agree more. I mean, look, you know, Defence Digital, you know, it can't be underplayed how important that is. And the, the role of, you know, digital technology and cyber in defence is only going to increase um, as time goes forward. It's fully recognised. And if you look at all the moves that are being made by the government, the investment they're making and lots of other agencies that are related to defence, um, it's been just fantastic. I just want to point out, you know, down at DSTL, not not in this case digital, but if you look at the quality of the scientists we have in defence and some of the work we've, they've been doing, I mean, you know, we really have talented people that we're just trying to unleash. Uh, and that's that's the importance. The optimism comes from the sense that that talent we've got, the talent of the partners, people, people like Kevin, um, that we can unleash them now, now that we've got the right level of focus and inshallah the, the funding behind it. Okay, well, that's it for this episode. I hope you found our conversation interesting and helpful. Thanks to both our guests for sharing their insight with us. Tom, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Justine. It's great to be here. And Kevin, thank you. Thanks very much. Well, next time we'll continue to explore the great opportunity with more experts from business, government and academia. So do join us again. Also, you can subscribe to this series so you won't miss an episode. From me, Justine Green, Tom and Kevin, thanks for listening and goodbye.